0: Welcome to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. In this episode, we feature Meredith Reynolds, the Special Deputy City Manager for Recovery for the City of Long Beach. Meredith has worked on critical efforts in community services, parks and open space, sustainability and innovation in Long Beach and in Irvine. She has served as a Long Beach Park Planning and Partnerships Manager and Park Development Officer, where she created a strong focus on equitable and inclusive community engagement and partnerships and developed park and open space projects. During the pandemic, Meredith was reassigned to the Long Beach Health Department and was responsible for setting up COVID-19 testing sites across the city of Long Beach. She also oversees the Long Beach Management Assistant Program, a local government management fellowship program currently accepting applications through January 17th, 2022. Find more information at longbeach.gov. We hope you enjoy hearing from Meredith.
1: Hi, I'm Jessa. And I'm Laurel, and today's guest is Meredith Reynolds with the City of Long Beach. We are so excited to have you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. And we'll start by asking how you're connected to AEP. Sure. Um,
2: I'm connected uh, to AEP because I say yes to a lot of things, yes to, to my colleagues, Um so I was one of the speakers at AEP's conference uh, here in, in Long Beach in 2021, uh, and I shared my park story about my favorite park, Willow Springs. Um, and so spent a lot of time getting to know uh, some folks at the conference, which was really great, um, but I do have a long career uh, in the sphere of park planning and sustainability um, and have often run into uh, members of AEP or others just generally in the profession. Um, and so that's sort of my my... Uh, connection and and entree into kind
1: of this work. We appreciate you saying yes to things. It was, (laughs) um, I was at the conference in Long Beach and people came up to me and said, you got to interview Meredith on the podcast. Her talk was so engaging and inspiring and enlightening. And as we were preparing for this episode, you mentioned that this particular park is a passion of yours and we're, I'm, I did not get to attend your session. So (laughs) lay it on me. What is sure. this fabulous park
2: and why are you so passionate about it? So this park is, is just really unique. I don't, there's not a lot of places that exist like this in Long Beach and probably in Southern California. So, um, it is about 48 acres, uh, centrally located in Long Beach, just off of the 405 freeway, um, pretty, you know, pretty much smack dab in the middle of our city. Um, and most of it's undeveloped and it's been that way for over a hundred years. Um, it happened to be the location of the first artesian spring that fed water to um, the town site before Long Beach was Long Beach. Um, so it really provided that, um, you know, that that foundation of and, and you know, life for agriculture, for people. Um, and at the time in the 20s, uh, the mayor wanted to do a huge central park like plan. Uh, and they commissioned the husband and wife architect from Pasadena um, and you never heard of, of female architects in the 20s. Which, so that was kind of cool. And they did this whole master plan. And it was, hun- you know, hundreds of acres and included most of the Long Beach airport and a big chunk of the central part of our city before it was, you know, part of the town site. And then oil was discovered, you know, a block away and they shelved the plan. And uh, that was just kind of where it, it sat. And so um, more recently uh, in the 2000s there was plans for a sports park but there's all kinds of oil um, infrastructure there and it just became cost prohibitive and eventually as we were moving out of our city hall um, to our new city hall building we found the 1920s plans in a wheelbarrow in a closet in the basement of the old city hall and we've been working through the you know from 2010 on uh, we have a master plan for the park from 2013. Um, and we have a variety of grants we've gotten to kind of build out sections and we finally found this missing piece of these hundred year old plans and blueprints. They're gorgeous. Um, we have them uh, framed and everything, and we, so cool. we've been working this whole time to come kind of full circle and develop this park, uh, and this plan that we had no idea existed, um, and kind of fulfilled that promise from a hundred years ago, um, from 1921, so it's kind yeah. of neat uh, to see it. And it's a, a, a great sandbox for sustainability. So all of the aspects of the park are really built around the concept of um, light touch to the land. Let the topography dictate the features. Um, lot, you can imagine an aban- kind of a, a vacant, abandoned um, open space site for 100 years has a lot of found objects. So a lot of um, recycled concrete and things we made into pavers and a little outdoor classroom. Um, it, because it used to be the area for the artesian spring, um, a, a lot of willows just naturally volunteer. So we did some cuttings off of the, what, we, what we lovingly call the grandmother willow. Um, and those have taken up along the path. And so it's a very natural space with lots of topography. So if you walk in there, you don't feel like you're in Southern California. You feel like you're in some you know, quiet respite where you can hear the birds, um, you hear the wind through the trees. Um, we have a walking path, a labyrinth, we have a trail, uh, we have a watershed map, um, some interpretive signage of all the history on the park. There's really no place like it uh, in Long Beach and it just happens to be the, uh, part of the park is the highest publicly accessible vista point in Long Beach. So you can see that the Hollywood sign on a clear day, you can see Orange County, you can see Catalina. You have a great 360 view of this park. Um, And not a lot of people, not a lot of cities can boast that that they have such a resource. Um, It's really just a matter of us continuing that commitment to um, finding grants and other funds to really build out the, the balance of the park. And so we're super excited about that. So I could talk about this all day. It's my favorite park. (laughs) <laughs> for all of those and more reasons, but, um, it was a lot of fun to be able to share that with those who attended the conference in Long Beach. Um, and several folks said, Oh yeah, on my way home, I'm going to go buy it. So I hope they did. For sure. That's yeah, what I was I, thinking right now. I'm like, Oh,
0: I haven't seen this. And if I have, I wasn't paying attention. So, um, I love it. What an amazing story. Sorry, Laurel.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like,
0: cool.
1: <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and, it's a, it sounds like it was a really fun role. Tell us like what your role was in the project and how you got there in your career. Cause I'm sure it's fascinating for people that are like, I want to do what she did. How did you find yourself here?
2: Sure. So my, my role, um, for, uh, in that project and for the city for the last several years um, had been the park planning and partnerships manager. So um, was responsible for your more traditional kind of park planning and and funding planning. We did all the grant writing for capital projects for parks um, and also all of the partnerships and other kind of land use related permits and contracts uh, in the Department of Parks, Recreation and Marine uh, for the city of Long Beach. Um, And sort of found my way uh, to this area Um, uh, of work uh, from, from a place that maybe others, uh, many others don't really have. Um, So my, I grew up in, in a small um, agricultural town in the Central Valley where my father was a city manager. Um, And so my first council meeting was at six when a babysitter didn't show up. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I've been a local government nerd (laughs) ever since. And so for, for me, it was more about, you know, this is, you know, if, if you, if your water doesn't turn on, if your um, dog is lost, if you get a parking ticket, like you don't go to the federal government, you don't go to the state government, you don't go to the county, you go to your local jurisdiction. And so much of your life is wrapped up in your relationship to your local government, um, even who you vote for, for city council or, or what have you. Um, and so I, it always struck me as the um, kind of most direct way to, um, you know, provide support and change for a community. And, uh, you know, growing up in that household, my mom was also um, a social worker, worked for public health. Like we had a very specific call, my sister and I have a very specific call to service. Um, and so this was kind of the, the, the family business. This is where I was going to end up. It's what I felt like I was good at, what I understood. Um, and certainly found that this was the way to make the most direct impact and direct change. And, interface most closely with the community who could be influencing local politics and local processes for change in their own right. Um, and it just felt really comfortable. So that's kind of where uh, I started. And outside of uh, undergrad and graduate program, um, I was looking for kind of a local government fellowship uh, program and many cities have them, Long Beach happens to have one. Um, so I started my career with the city of Long Beach uh, in their management assistant program. Uh, you know, come full circle, uh, kind of side note, I manage that program today. So it's kind of fun that I started there. And now, and awesome. yeah, in my deputy I city manager role, I, I oversee that, but you know, I was, um, an analyst, uh, in development services, uh, kind of planning, building redevelopment housing, great spot for me. Cause I got to learn a lot. Um, but I also then had some reflection about like, really, who did I want to be in my career? Like what kind of work was going to be important? And so, you know, you kind of think through the scenarios as an analyst. Um, you can view there's analysts in every department, all 22 departments at our city. Uh, we're a full service city, uh, about 6,000 employees. So do I want to work in the fire department? Do I want to work in the police department? And there's, you know, there's certain aspects of that that work that's really exciting. There's also certain aspects of that work that doesn't really uh, speak to me and my values and what I wanted to stand for as a as an employee, as a professional. Um, you know, do you work in the library? Do you work in neighborhood services? And so I really did some soul searching and said, you know, I think I'm best positioned just with my own personal values and the kinds of things I want to accomplish and the things that seem seem interesting to me, like the things that I want to spring out of bed every morning and come to work, are really around kind of open space, parks, sustainability, um, and, and the planning and implementation that comes with that. So, you know, planning and capital projects and you know, some of the, um, you know, environmental things that we have to deal with uh, as a coastal city, um, as a city with a history of land degradation there. And there's, there's a lot, you know, to, to impact there and a lot of value that I feel I could add. So I kind of started to look for those roles in, in that area. Um, And I got tapped. uh, There was some movement in our leadership at the city and I got tapped by our city management team to start the city sustainability office. Um, So we didn't have one up until that point. Um, and so they said, Hey, do you want to come start this? And, um, you know, you, you know, you've heard me. I say yes to guess this stuff. <laughs>
0: so, yeah. I was thinking that same thing. And okay, we know where this is going. Yes. This
2: is, this is, and? yeah, there's, a, there's a pattern here. <laughs> um, so, you know, I said yes. And a colleague of mine, um, who also has been very pivotal, uh, at the Willow Springs site, uh, my colleague, Larry Rich, uh, who is still today, the city's sustainability coordinator, um, essentially created this office from scratch. Um, It was at a time where this was kind of the latest and greatest buzz um, and uh, kind of turning from like the environmental movement into sustainability, which has more lately become resiliency and climate change. You know, we started a lot of that at the city. So um, some of our green building policies, our construction and demolition debris recycling policy, our green purchasing policy. Uh, we had established the um, first city sustainable city action plan and our mayor appointed a commission, a sustainable city commission that we chaired. Um, a lot of all of that work still exists today and has been morphed into other things and and you know, still, you know, the sustainability plan still stands alone. A lot of that got incorporated into our climate action and adaptation plan. So there's lots of that kind of stuff, uh, you know, that, that I'm really proud of that still exists uh, for our community. Um, But I I had an opportunity to go work uh, after that for the city of Irvine. And that was a really interesting um, experience because I could not have picked a more different city. When I started, they were celebrating their 40th anniversary. Um, Long Beach is hundreds of years old. Um, They're a master plan community. They were pretty much fully entitled uh, from land use standpoint when I started there. They have essentially one developer, the Irvine company. Um, You know, here we have just whoever feels like they can make a make a financial arrangement work to develop. Um, There's so many more like differences that I can go on, but it was, um, you know, they're one of the the rated the more one of the more well-run cities in the country, and that was really interesting to see how leadership kind of dealt with that environment. Um, And a lot of my when I first started, a lot of my leadership left very quickly, um, so I ended up being in charge of a lot of stuff. So (laughs) I started as the environmental programs administrator. So I oversaw their waste contracts, their recycling programs, their community outreach, their um, uh, open space um, permits with the the federal government um, and a variety of other things, but then swiftly became in charge of maintenance and capital projects, um, land use permits and cell sites and a bunch of other things. Um, And it was all very interesting. So I got a a lot of really great experience there. And so um, I was... Commuting, um, and I've never done that before. Uh, and I didn't really think about how, uh, kind of, just saying, "All right, I'm leaving my city, and I'm going to go to another city. I'm going to help them." At the end of the day, I do the same thing. I kind of wash my hands and go home, and it felt really impersonal. And that started to really weigh heavy on me. And so I was like, "You know, I need to come back to Long Beach. This is this is my home. This is it's you know, it's weird, it's funky, it's cool, it's right by the beach. Like I love everything about it. Um, and so many you'll find people who live in Long Beach just love it." Um, and so I came back as the park planning and partnerships officer and then got promoted to manager, um, and was responsible for park planning for 167 parks, six miles of beach, um, you know, about one a or, or so percent of our city is open space. Um, and so people don't realize how many parks we actually do have. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So millions of dollars in grant funds and a variety of other stuff that, that, you know, was just really, really meaningful to me. And I got to do it in my city. Um, So that's one of the kind of the really helpful pieces of this is like living where you work. For me, I realized was really important. So um, I'm really glad I get to do that. Um, And then finally, I think recently I just got tapped as the deputy city manager for recovery, which has nothing to do with environmental or planning or parks (laughs) or anything. (laughs) But, you know, as when people ask you to do something really important, you say yes. And that's what I did. Um, And I was reassigned during COVID to our health department to uh, stand up our city's COVID testing sites. And so I think part, I would assume part of that, you know, was, was something that folks showed folks I could do something different, which was kind of a silver lining for me. Um, but I, I, you know, I get to kind of see the the larger picture here at the city, which is really helpful. Um, and I still get to be an advocate and user of our park space and, you know, you never know, I might come back someday. So.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, just a brilliant story of, <laughs> of getting to work and invest your time and your love into the community in, in which you grew up and to grow into a leadership role. And then now all of a sudden being, not all of a sudden, but now you get to be you know special <laughs> deputy city manager for recovery and it's it's different than what you had an anticipated your trajectory to possibly be but what are some of the what goes into being responsible for implementing the long beach recovery act because to i don't have a lot of experience or knowledge or understanding of what that entails walk us through what you do on a day-to-day and what are some of the big projects um obviously COVID 19 but what are some of the other big projects that you work on
2: Sure. Um, Part of this role is a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure. Very similar, I had to remember, very similar to when I was in the sustainability office. Like This didn't exist before, and you have to essentially set up a functional office and then do the work of that office and evaluate the work of that office and make sure it's in alignment with, in this case, city council policy, um, federal funding priorities, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of what we've been spending our, our time doing. And so our city has received through the federal ARPA funding and a variety of other grants, uh, recovery-related grants, um, $249.2 million, um, which in many cases is the entire budget of many small cities in California. Um, and we're responsible for um, producing programs and implementing those programs through the end of 2024 that are really focused on recovery um, in kind of two main categories. One is economic recovery and one is um, healthy and safe communities, sort of the public health um, and violence prevention uh, areas um, of programs. Uh, And so our our kind of day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month work is establishing policies and procedures around how the funding will be spent and what we will be spending it on. Um, And we have a lot of guidance from that because our city council in March was one of the first cities in the country to approve a local recovery plan. Um, So we have, you know, our our foundation and our framework for what is important to our community and our council. Um, And then from there, uh, you know, policies and procedures and all of the logistical pieces, the internal pieces that many people don't see of making sure that that happens. So hiring the staff to to do this, uh, that's no small feat. Uh, particularly when um, local government hiring can be a little bit slow, and also when there is a huge opportunity in the, the you know and kind of vacuum in the job market. Um, it is establishing all of the accounting codes in our financial system, and figuring out how you want to track it at the end of the day, and backing into how it all gets set up. Um, thinking about how we communicate uh, to our council, to the federal government, to our community how we're spending the money and what our progress looks like Um, and making sure that that is is done in in accessible ways and ways that um, accomplishes language access um, for, we have a a very strong uh, majority of our population that um, is uh, Hispanic, Spanish Khmer and Tagalog speaking. Um, And so how do we make sure that we're still, you know, providing accessibility and accessible information to them? Um, And then also how do we convene teams um, around this concept of collective impact? So all of these programs are mutually reinforcing to maximize the benefit and and ultimately recovery for our community. Um, So for instance, if we have a universal basic income program, uh, which is is planned with some of these funds, how do we also get that individual or that household connected to diapers and formula for their children some of the after-school programs at parks and libraries, um, some of the uh, transportation subsidies through mo- micromobility and transit, um, you know, the free Wi-Fi and cr- uh, and computers and, you, that will allow for their children to go to school or for them to access training. You know, how do we think about all that? And so it quickly becomes seven-dimensional chess. Um, but it, it's uh, it's one of those things that your role, our office's role is to sort of be the backbone for that collective impact to lead all of that work um, and organize and, and can be in staff teams uh, um, to problem solve and sort of figure that out. And so it's a lot about um, setting up the structure to make sure that we're successful, that the impacts and results in our community that we expect uh, actually come to fruition.
0: Meredith, this is unbelievable. I am... Positively overwhelmed and inspired by your ambition and your commitment to your community and following your purpose and your passion. And listening to you speak about this, I would think this sounds like a dream opportunity for a way to directly impact and help the people in your community. Like it just, as Laurel would say and me now, like it gives me chills and I never get I never get real chills, but I have them right now because I'm just like, wow, this is just like you're saying, like all these like day-to-day things that impact the quality of life for the residents of your community and you're running the show and the program and making it efficient. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, and one of the things that I thought about, um, you know, when, when really thinking through, as opposed to just saying, yes, I'm uh, really thinking through, um, how, whether or not this was a good role for me is I was very, very used to being in the field. Um, at, at the parks office, it's at our regional park. I look out and I have a ball field and a skate park and some open space. It's really great. Um, and and I was also used to being um, in in a place where I had a really tangible role. Right, I plan a park. I uh, I and others plan a park. I and others design a park. We get our environmental clearances. We get our permits. Someone builds the park. There are smiling, laughing children on that playground at that park. That is very, very tangible. Um, this work is far less tangible in a, in a very direct way, but but far more uh, kind of exponentially more impactful if done right. Um, so I have to remember kind of my intrinsic motivation for, um, you know, yes, that form I just signed <laughs> uh, or that uh, that email that I just sent or that meeting I'm going to have, you know, doesn't feel very tangible right now. Um, but again, if we're doing this, if we're doing this uh, it, well, if we're we are really thinking about equitable impacts um, to those who were disproportionately affected by COVID, um, you know, if we're really doing this well, then that form I just signed, that email I just sent, that meeting I just had, really results in long-term recovery. And as a resident, I'm really invested in that. As a professional, this is exactly kind of that that dream job. Like you really, really hope you get a chance to have this kind of an impact, even if you're behind the scenes, no matter how big and how or how small. Um so it's been kind of a wild ride since I started, I think in April or May of this year. So it's I, been it's been a lot. It
1: it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like I too am also positively motivated and, and overwhelmed. And I, I'm interested to know how do you take care of yourself and maintain that positive attitude? I know that like you consciously think about, okay, I send this email. I complete this form. It's for the bigger purpose. How else do you take care of yourself and maybe um, other ways that directly influence how you're able to stay healthy and, and motivated in this very intense, demanding and fulfilling role?
2: Yeah. Um, you know. I probably am like others where I, I, whatever you want to call it, whether it's your work-life balance or your rhythm or what have you, like I'm probably not the healthiest person in in that regard um, because so much of what I do and who I, excuse me, so much of, of who I am is wrapped up in what I do. Um, this is, this is all, it's really all encompassing. And I feel like that probably started back, uh, you know, from my family influence that this is kind of our family business, right? Um, but I think there's a couple like really important things that people that I do and I, I encourage others to do is one is just surround yourself with people that you enjoy. Um, whether it's you know it's my husband and my uh, lazy coworker of a dog over here. <laughs> She's a really sweet spoiled beagle um, who is usually Aww. upside down on some couch somewhere as I'm working away. <laughs> um, we love diamonds. Um, I know the benefits of work from home. If she makes a cameo, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, And uh, the other thing is, you know, I talk about at work, um, my coalition of the willing. Like these are the people that I surround myself with at work because we have mutual values. uh, We have mutual uh, uh, kind of interest and are inspired by similar things. Um, When I call them with a problem or a question or just like, hey, I need advice. Like they don't tell me how busy they are, they stop what they're doing, they put their pencil down, they stop their email, and they're like, how can I help? And and it's um, you know, like mutually exchanged, they do the same with me. Um, you know, they show up to the stuff that I'm passionate about. They um, you know, give give their time or other or other resources to causes that are that are mutually important. They they show up, they celebrate you and and they're like, you know, they hype you. That's kind of fun. Um, so I have a lot of those people, uh, particularly who I work with, and I really try and cultivate those relationships and, um, ensure that they feel special in return. Um, and that, that goes a long way, uh, in terms of kind of motivation and, and keeping a good kind of head on your shoulders and having good mental health. Um, you know, I'm, I, we have 167 parks and six miles of beach. I am in them and, and at them regularly. Um, that's just, you know kind of, I, I was a big parks kid and that kind of has never stopped. Um, and I think, you know, really being intentional about planning your time off. So we lose more time as Americans that we earn than we actually take. Uh, and so when we spend the majority of our waking hours at work, you know, we might as well like who, what we do and who we do it with, but we should also be using those earned benefits. Um, so you know, usually every year in December, I sit down with my husband and we think about like, okay, where do we want to go and when, and we're pretty regular, um, vacation takers. Like we take vacation around my birthday, uh, in January, because nothing ever good happens when you work on your birthday. Take it from Ooh.
1: me. When <laughs> is your
2: birthday? Uh, my birthday is January 8th. Ah, um, so I was born on Elvis's birthday. <laughs> ah, yeah.
1: I'm Fat. January 29th. I was, I was hoping that we'd be. Ah you know, fellow birthday ends and Aquarians, but you've that got Elvis, Elvis that you got I that mean, energy.
2: Elvis, Elvis and David Bowie. So I'm, I'm pretty oh. stoked about that.
1: <laughs> Do you have music in your life? Are you a
2: musician? Oh yes. Well, that was the last thing I was going to mention is I, I I play the piano. I've, I've been in band and drumline and things as a, as a youth. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think like music is, is my like escape. It's my go-to. I love live music. Um, I have a record player and all the records. I am like a super nerd on Spotify. Um, I make playlists for people all the time. Like if there was a mixtape and that still existed, I would still do that. But now it's become, you know, this online uh, feature. Um, totally. And so I I really enjoy that. Uh, and so those are some of the types of things, you know, that we, that we do. And, and really being intentional about taking that time um, is really important because you need the time to kind of rest and, regroup, uh, relax and that sort of thing. And, you know, there's always wine for therapy, right? That that's always up up there, up there on the list somewhere. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yes. Oh yeah. Thank you for sharing. And thank you also too, um, for bringing up the time off because I do think that is such a critical thing for us to remember because, you know, I think a lot of people who are passionate about their careers and focused on it and are so purpose-driven, you get so intertwined and the lines are blurred mm-hmm. between work and personal. And so being intentional about taking the time off, because that's when like creativity happens. That's when you can really, truly rest and come back and show up even more for what you want to do. So mm-hmm. um, I I love that piece of advice because it is, um, it is something I think we we all need to focus on more and yeah. um, take un- your really
2: vacation a- and
0: unplug <laughs> Yes. Yes. Unplug. And like the well, times and- of zoom, you can be anywhere now and it's like, <laughs> okay, but yeah, turn I out the, the computer.
2: Yeah. Just log off of teams. It's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the other thing I'll say though, Jessa is, is as I get older and, and like different levels of my career, part of this is your staff watching your behavior. Right. And so like normalize taking time off and not bugging your staff. Normalize, you know, not coming to work when you're sick. I think everyone is on board with that these days. I, I hope. I hope. um, You know, some of the things that you may have kind of skipped for yourself before starts to to say certain things to the people who work for you or the people who work around you. And if you're doing all of this stuff and you're not taking vacation, other the others tend to think that like that's what you expect and that's what they should be doing. And you're, you know you're, you're passing down bad habits to the next generation of employees. And I I don't want to do that. Like, so I I have to be very, very conscious about, you know, the things that I do. And we have, you know, we talk about every year I ask my team for when they're planning to take time off, even if they don't, you know, know right then and there, like, this is why I have deadlines of when I want to know, you know, before the summer, because a lot of my staff have kids and um, you know, summer's off and how are they planning for that? And what time are they taking? And, you know, before the holidays, you know, regardless of, of what what you celebrate, like, when do you plan to take time off? And so we talk about that. And that, I think that helps kind of normalize the the intentionality behind taking some of that time. Um, and and we, there's a whole bunch of other things that are unrelated to the question that we try and normalize just so it's, it's okay you know, to to you know, if you have uh, if your cat is sick, like stay home, like work from home, it's fine. Um, we also normalize waving at the end of every call because I do it and I think it's cool and I love it and I hope everybody else does it too. <laughs> I know Laurel's waving at me. <laughs> There's um, you know, just things that you can have a little bit of fun with too. Uh, you know, just being really intentional about what is meaningful for your team because part of being in a in a leadership role is other people looking at you. And you don't want to carry down those bad habits that maybe, maybe you grew up with because you worked for others who, you know, did certain things with certain kind of gave you certain cues that that was what was expected.
0: Yeah, that is really, really important reminder or something to highlight for leaders, because I think that, again, we can get so caught up in what we're doing that we forget people are watching how we act and emulating that in their career. And, um, I think for some people it's more intuitive and some people it's learned. And so I just admire the way that you approach it with your team. And it was something I was thinking about as you're speaking and thinking about all this being so intentional and like having all these opportunities and saying yes, and that you now are leading this fellowship program that you started in is when you're, what is some some advice or what are some things you look for, for fellows uh, who are coming out of this program or applying or that you're working with? Um, like, so people who are earlier in their career, like, what are some things that you keep an eye out for?
2: Sure. Um, so the, the program is the Long Beach Management Assistant Program, and it's a one year, uh, fellowship for those who have their master's degree. And we uh, bring on usually between, it's pretty competitive, but two and four uh, fellows each year, and they get rotated through four different departments. So they have to go through budget, they have to go through city manager's office, but the other two are sort of like electives where we ask them what their interests are, and the departments actually pitch projects for them. And so we, we figure out what their interests are in the desired projects, and we kind of match them up. Um, and there's also a lot of, you know, other kinds of, they go to every city council meeting, um, you know, they, they volunteer, uh, I shouldn't say volunteer. They, as part of their role, they, they show up for these other things like the homeless count or the bike count or, um, you know, help set up for a community meeting or the, or the like right now they were helping this week with redistricting, you know, so they get kind of a full, like local government experience. And so we're looking for people who, um, align with the values of the organization, align with the values of the work, uh, at the local level, um. You know over the years, uh, some of the criteria has, has shifted a little bit from like, you know, the the ultimate local government person, uh, and now it's kind of shifted, you know, some, someone who has like the criteria that says they want to work in local government, that's all they've ever wanted to do. Now we're looking for people with a little bit more diversity of, of thought, diversity of degrees. So we're looking we've had planners, we've had um you know, public works, capital project kind of, uh, you know, construction type folks. We've had um, public health folks. We've had communications and PIO marketing type folks. Um, and so we, we have kind of shifted over to maybe a diverse, uh, more diverse perspective and, and even um, uh, demographically diverse individuals as well. Um, And so this the program, as we've seen in the last few years, we've seen a lot more folks from the local uh, metropolitan region um, as opposed to like the big rock stars out of, you know, uh, these colleges far, far away. Uh, We like people who want to stay with our organization um, because this is all about building the capacity and succession planning for local government. Um, And that's not to say that people can't go uh, learn that this is not for them and go do something else or go to another organization. But, um, you know, we boast a lot of our city leaders um, came from this program uh, uh Tom Modica, our city manager started the program a few years before I did. So there's a lot of, of folks at all levels uh, coming from this program, which is great. Uh, and I will put a plug in um, that the program is open the, rec- the recruitment is on now. Um, and you can visit that uh, uh, on our website at longbeach.gov. Um, slash MAP for management assistant program. um, And the applications close in uh, January. Um, So Laurel and Jess, I'll get that information over to you as well. Um, But we have, it's the longest running municipal management fellowship in California. And I believe it's the second oldest in the country uh, next to the city of Phoenix. Wow. I mean,
1: I love all the things.
2: I especially love (laughs) The opportunity
1: for individuals to test their interests. Oh, microphone. My microphone switched. Hold on. <laughs> Technical
0: error. Sorry about that. Okay. So now it's switched before we could actually hear you. Oh. So <laughs> I was like, oh, I think your mic is actually working great. But <laughs> testing, <laughs> what do I know? Yes
1: yes i'm apologies technical blips i was saying that i really like the opportunity for people to test out if if something's going to be meaningful for, for them or not before they invest you know years and monies in other things and it's such a well-rounded program as somebody who i, I think that if i knew this existed when i graduated college i probably would have done it to give it a go because you get this whole yeah. well-rounded experience and you get you know requirements and electives and wow what an opportunity so i highly recommend all you um, master's students go out and check out this opportunity and other opportunities like it. You've heard on this podcast before where we we strongly recommend inters- internships and AEP is going to be launching a mentorship program where we match people that have opportunities cool. like this with others. Yeah. So this is just, I'm so excited to see this um, profession grow. And thank you so much for being a part of the leadership in the and developing the future of our organization and our profession.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's it just comes very, you know, naturally for me given my like background and progression. And and there's, you know, there's those icebreaker questions about what else would you, if you didn't do this, what else would you do? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, my my answer is always like something in music. Like, I don't know, maybe it'd be a roadie or something. Who knows? Yeah.
1: And there's still time. <laughs> there's so I know, time. right. <laughs> um, well, I, speaking of time, we are at our time together. Unless um, you have any final announcements you'd like to make or topics to touch on before Jessa kicks in the wrap-up rapid five.
2: Yeah, I, just a, kind of one that that I touched upon a little bit, but I, you know, I really see um, those, you know, in the industry, kind of really grappling with uh, are these issues of um, kind of racial equity. Our city has a racial equity and reconciliation plan. Every department has racial equity champions. There's a lot of work happening here and other places around this topic, Um, and it really comes through, I think, in a lot of the uh, planning Um, space—not just park planning, but but in others. And so, you know, whether it's the management assistant program, or your your entry level job, or work with a nonprofit um, or community-based organization, you know, this is going to be something that the next generation. Um, and, and even our current generation uh, is is going to need to learn how to be competent at. And this is really about, you know, it stems from, um, you know, kind of if you look at root cause analysis, a lot of our land use and how we decide upon, upon land and what's valuable um, really stems from this issue of redlining uh, where uh, federal housing policies indicated where areas were valuable and where they were not valuable to buy or invest based on the demographics and race of people who live there. Um, there's some really great books and, and resources about this um, you know, out in the world that I encourage folks to, to pay attention to. Um, but even some of our decisions that we make today are, are still fundamentally based on some of those really structurally racist policies. Um, and so as we're thinking about, you know, my my former role about how and where we acquire land and build parks and how we even co-create those spaces with our community and what is culturally relevant and meaningful to different members of our community that might come from different places. Um, you know, Long Beach has the largest population of Cambodians outside of Cambodia. And what Cambodia town and and those residents want uh, and and feel comfortable with may be very different than other places. And so I think this aspect of of really diving into and um, not just sort of being woke, so to speak but actually really talking the talk and walking the walk and understanding what it means to change structures um, so that we don't continue to uh, perpetuate uh, racial inequities um, is going to be a large part of this work when it comes to planning uh, and land use um, and, and other you know, environmental justice type issues. And so um, I know uh, your members and many others in your industry and and you know the places, the spaces and places I spent my time, we were really trying to grapple with this topic. Um, and so I think understanding a lot of the aspects of culture um, really plays into, um, you know, kind of thinking about things, not just being kind of a technical expert. Um, and being skilled technically, um, that's always important. Um, But but sort of this aspect of, of cultural competency and understanding the history and the story of racial equity and what it has led to in our country and what it has led to at the local jurisdiction where you work, like I do, or whether you work in an industry that works with lots of local jurisdictions, there's a lot to unpack there. And the more prepared and educated you are in that area, I think is going to be um, really valuable, uh, as an employee for an employer, uh, in, in the future, um, and probably should have been for a very long time. Um, uh, mm-hmm. but I know that that's something that we spend a lot of time working on. Um, we do in our organization, but a lot of the work I did previously in park planning was, was around kind of this, um, not perpetuating <laughs> past racial inequity and thinking about how best to serve our community in that way. Did they, um, in your,
1: education. I know you got a bachelor's and you got a couple certificates and Pepperdine and then master's at Carnegie. I mean, impressive. Do they <laughs> talk about these topics in your academic life or was this something that was introduced to you via the open space and parks planning um, pathway?
2: Yeah, you know, I think there were some initial things that uh, and it was more under the guise of like diversity at the time that I was going through school. Um, I, d- I do have a, 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 a minor in my undergrad of organizational communication. So it came up in some of those, you know, being culturally competent, talking to uh, different levels of the organization, different cultures, like what is expected, you know, in that capacity. So it was peppered throughout, but it wasn't closely tied to this concept of uh, uh, kind of white supremacy uh, and, and individuals who feel a particular way creating structures. And those structures then are inequitable, and they perpetuate racism. That particular kind of tie was more about being in the sphere of planning and and open space and parks, um, where you really kind of got to dig into this. Um, And I think a great resource on this is um, GARE. It's the Government Alliance on Race and Equity. Um, There are many similar types of organizations that exist out in the world. Uh, but they were the ones that did a lot of our training here at the city and we continue to be connected with them. Um, I have a really great kind of resource list, uh, Laurel, that I can send to you and Jessa following this that you're welcome to share with uh, those in AEP. Yes. Um, but they are uh, very kind of local government centric, um, but certainly still really relevant. Um, so I think the park space is, you know, there's a lot of great things that come from yeah. um, the sphere of planning and parks. Uh, that is sort of your applied learning or your experiential learning. Um, that is sometimes far more eye-opening than anything you can get in the classroom, as important as that might be.
1: I, I agree. I'm giggling because I got a degree in environmental studies and economics. So it was just the apocalypse. And <laughs> and and you kind of don't, uh, you don't truly understand and empathize or find your, your particular skill set until you give it a go and you really dive in. And And I just wanted to highlight that you do have an incredible academic background. You've applied your your knowledge and your resources to your career. You've developed into a leadership role. You're making actual change in the community you grew up in. I can completely understand why the AEP conference <laughs> recommended that you join us today. I just um hopefully we can have you back again and we could talk again about um all the successes that you've um witnessed, that you've celebrated, that you've achieved, and um maybe the future fellows and what they're doing and what they're up to. We'd love to check back in with you. Thank you. So sure. much for being here. I think that we, that's a great, great point for a wrap up rapid five
2: now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how can I say, how can I say no? <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> yeah. All
0: right. So first question, what is your favorite daily habit?
2: Uh, my favorite daily habit is gratitude. Um, so really being able to say thank you to others or Hey, you did a great job. Um, and it doesn't need to be a parade. It doesn't need to be, you know, something that everybody knows about. It could just be that nice thing that you say to that person because you never de- definitely don't know what their day was like. You don't know what they've been carrying. You don't know what's going on in their life. And sometimes that matters. Um, I, I think it always matters to some degree, but sometimes it just really, really matters. Um, so I still do written thank you notes to people. Um, and I just, you know, saying thank you is, is definitely something that is worth celebrating.
0: Right. Three things you'd bring to a deserted Island.
2: Oh gosh. This was so thinking about, this was so easy speakers, something to play music on and a personal chef. And maybe the personal chef is a little bit of a cheat because that doesn't mean it's a deserted Island, but I wouldn't survive unless there was somebody there to provide sustenance because I am a terrible cook. (laughs) I do not like it. My husband does all the cooking in the family.
0: (laughs) We'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite environmental policy?
2: Uh, anything related to parks, so park exaction, park dedication, park impact fees—you know, anything that is really about you know establishing open and open space, green space for the community, particularly in areas that have had a lack of investment or um, disproportionately affected by structural racism. I think that all of that is is good, and there's like never, an, never an end to the goodness that that can bring on a whole host of levels.
0: All right. Favorite
2: fauna or flora? Ooh, probably a willow tree. Um, they are resilient. You know, they find water, they volunteer, um, they bend, but they rarely break. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, I mentioned at Willow Springs, there's this great grandmother Willow. And that's like the first thing that came to mind, uh, when I heard the question, um, and they, you know, they, their branches kind of open up and just give you a big old hug. And I, I think there's some, so something really great about, uh, you know, a big grandmother Willow. Oh, I love that.
0: And last question, finish this thought.
2: Wouldn't it be cool if. Wouldn't it be cool if I got to hang out with Leslie Nope?
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've always thought
2: that that could be a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> I was thinking about her this entire podcast. And I was like, don't say it, Jessa. Don't say it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't not be a fan of the show if you work in the parks and recreation industry. And it, it's funny because the show being filmed in LA, uh, in many cases, did have some park cameos from Long Beach in it. So uh, you can always tell. You're like, oh, I know which one that is. So <laughs> it's great. a lot of fun to see, you know, a show like that, you know, it, it's ridiculous, but it also very closely, you know, aligns with a lot of the stuff that is very real for people in the industry. And, and so, you know, it's, it's fun to think about, you know, maybe having lunch with Leslie. Nope.
0: <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much, Meredith. We loved having yeah, you.
1: Sure. Grateful for you. Fun. Gratitude, yeah. gratitude, gratitude. Thank you so much <laughs> for you. being here. Yes. And sure. Meredith, everyone. Very impressive. Thank you. Until next time.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. As a new podcast, it really helps us if you share with friends and colleagues that may enjoy this podcast as well. And please subscribe or follow the podcast to be alerted for new episodes. Also, if you want to submit a shout out, please send a voice memo under a minute, uh, ideally to podcast with an S at califae Again, that's podcasts at califae or any feedback that you'd like to share. We love feedback. Thank you.